Well, I do want to make a couple of quick statements or announcements just to clarify. One is just to clarify, as you've seen on the Baby Bubble Bottle Boomerang video, uh, that uh, the, the center in Ukraine opened in 2014. It is open. Now the funds go to maintain it or to help operate it, especially in the, in the uh, turmoil that's there. So uh, just to get that clarified, Tom needs to update his video there, but uh, he said he'd promise he would by, you know, 2020. <laughs> I'm kidding. Also, I just want to remind you of, and we haven't mentioned it yet, of our it's rapidly approaching wild game dinner. I just want to mention that real briefly before we get into the message. And if you're here today and you're not an outdoorsman, but you want to come and taste some wild game cooked in a gourmet fashion, we want to encourage you to do so. There's gonna, it's a, if you haven't checked it out, there's the menu and a sheet that looks like this. And if you could pronounce how he's cooking it, better luck to you than me, because I was going to try it, but then forget it. Uh, but just read it, and I think you would enjoy it. So, and there's a table in the foyer if you're interested, and those guys have flyers and things for you to check out. So, with that being said, Pastor Tim has mentioned that today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and uh, it is a day that many churches do set aside to bring to light the issue of, of legalized abortion in our nation, in our world today. And I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, going through the scriptures, uh, looking to see when life begins, or, or even looking to see when it should end, I'm going to assume that most of all of you here would agree that abortion is wrong according to the Bible, euthanasia, euthanasia is wrong according to the Bible, assisted suicide is wrong, and all those things are wrong, wrong according to the Bible. What I am going to do, I'm going to give you the, the latest figures later on on how many abortions uh, take place in our nation, and, and hope you will keep that in mind, keep these figures in mind as we go through this message today. The message I do want to share with you is that of a mindset, or of a lifestyle, if you will. It is a mindset for people in our society and in our churches that we have today in our nation. It deals with how we look at, and, and uh, it, deals with, it, it deals with how we look at sin, it deals how we look at evil, it deals how we look at wickedness and all sorts of things like that. And today, because of that, we're going to focus on the evil of abortion. And I want you to, I hope the message will help you gain some courage to take a stand on this issue. I want it to stimulate you. I want it to motivate you to be involved. Because this is not, this is not the kind of issue that we simply pray about. Okay? Sometimes that's what happens. Not that, not that prayer is wrong. But it's more than just simply praying about abortion or changing the laws or whatever the case may be. It's not an issue that we just give a, a not an agreement to that it is wrong. Most of us believe it is wrong. There may be some who do not, but most of us do. This issue still demands our action even after 40 years, over 40 years of legalized abortion in our nation today. And that's what I want to share with you. I want you to keep in mind that God sets apart human life. As, as precious and as valuable. God also protects human life like no other life is to be protected on earth. Yes, even our animals. He protects our, our human life even more importantly than that. And this life begins at conception, the Bible tells us. So, well, since 1973, in the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision, 
we have legally killed over 57 million human babies in the United States. That's uh, over a million babies a year. And to no surprise, California and New York City, I don't mean to pick on them, but they lead the nation in abortions, where they come close to reaching 200,000 each a year. And so it, it, it is by far their number one cause of death in America today. And that's the way we need to think of it. That's the way we need to keep it in the forefront of our minds. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I have a really, really, really long introduction, so you've got lots of time to turn there. But I, I want to look at just three thoughts in this passage of Scripture this morning. And I give you a little background dealing with this passage. And maybe with this background and with this passage, we can compare the city of Corinth and the, and the young church there with our society today and the church today. And that's what I want to do. So for a little background, I want you to just briefly listen. Corinth was a large industrial port city in Greece. It, was con it connected the east and the west as far as trade was concerned. It was a very important city to Greece, a very strategic city to Greece. It, it, its imports and exports traveled through there. It was a very materialistic city as well, and a very wealthy city, and a very philosophical city, the city of Corinth. It was the center of learning. It was the center of learning about the world, about things around them, but it was also the center of luxury, especially for sin. But it was also a very self-centered city. You see, those in Corinth often thought themselves to be better than those from other cities because of their wealth, their luxury, their lifestyles. When all this city was, it was also one of the most wicked cities on the planet. Many of the women in Corinth were prostitutes so much so that if you wanted to say something bad about someone's reputation, especially a woman, you would call them a person, you would call that person a, a Corinthian girl, and everybody would know exactly what you meant by saying that. They worshiped the goddess Aphrodite, who had a constant circulation of a thousand priestess who would prostitute themselves in the temple. And you know what else? It was paid for at the public's expense. It was paid for by their tax dollars, if you will. The city had no morals, and no city had more temptations than Corinth. They were literally ignorant of the ways of God. And you know what? Right in the middle of that wicked city, God plants his church. And no one needed it more than them. Isn't that good to know? God just doesn't cast them away. He plants a church right in the middle of the city. Well, today, we have a lot in common with the city of Corinth, I think. We certainly are a large industrial nation, one of the largest. We have, we have some of the most prestigious centers of learning in the world. We are the center of luxury. We are the center of recreation. Would you agree with that? I mean, we're good at that, correct? We're good at recreating. And like Corinth, 
We're also deep in the grasp of sin. Immorality in our nation today is rampant on TV, and magazines, and radio, and the internet. Wherever you want to look, it's there. We're no longer shocked at the things that are immoral in our conscience today, or sensual, or debased. We're used to seeing it. We're used to living in it. We're used to recognizing it. It has become the norm for our day, if you want to look at it that way. It has become the norm for the age in which we live in. And we often talk about this. I know I've talked about it with a number of you here. The day in which we live, and, and uh, I'm old, but I'm not that old, and how things change so quickly, and how generations are, are raised in, in a, a, a society and they don't know any different. Oh, they read about it in the history books, but it's normal for them. We were talking last night, just in the simple, think about this, just in the simple things in which we use every day. This is where your participation comes in, okay? Who in here, and nobody else will look around because I need you to raise your hand. Who in here lived before there were microwaves? Okay? Who in here have always known about microwaves? See? To, to not have a microwave would be strange to them. You know what I mean? It's like, well, just nuke it. You know, we just take it out of the freezer and nuke it. That's, that's, that's normal for them. That's all they've known. And you can do that in a number of things. And our society is that way. Sin is that way. We've always lived in a world of sin. Don't get me wrong. But the sins of today aren't any different. They're still sinful, but they're becoming far more norm in our lives. And there's a generation that's growing up with that all around them, and it's not unusual to them. And that's the way it was in Corinth as well. We want to legalize every known sin possible today. The homosexual movement has, has made such great strides in our society, and now all aspects of that lifestyle is legal and accepted in our nation today. For the transgender folks... They have their own restrooms, they have their safe places they can go, and that's going to become normal someday in our nation if things don't change. In fact, you can pick your gender today if you don't like the one you were born with and, uh, and just change it. And you know what? And sometimes your tax dollars will pay for it. That's where we live. Crime, violence... Gangs are all keeping up with the times. Many cities are reporting increase in violent crimes. If you, if you watch any news at all, it can be on any station or any magazine or whatever you watch. Chicago is breaking a record for violent crimes, or they did break a record for violent crimes in 2016. Pornography is now the fourth largest industry in our nation today, and it's growing. Apart from people being addicted to pornography, we hardly hear anything about stopping it. Isn't that true? Because it's part of who we are. It's part of our society. We're used to it. It grosses over 200, and listen to this, over $250 billion a year in our country alone. More and more states are legalizing drugs, marijuana, did you know that marijuana is one of the top three cash crops in the United States? 
and might, might go to number one if more states make it legal. Now, here's a note to you farmers. You've been growing the wrong stuff. Corn, soybeans, you need to, might need to switch. Don't, you didn't hear that here. Don't. Today we worship freely a whole slew of, of gods from money to, to Mother Earth to Allah to, to food to you name it and you can find it in our nation today. Our tax dollars pay for artwork that, that blasphemes God and, and, and anything that has to do with Jesus. It tears it down. And since 1973, we legalized abortion on demand and we also pay for it. Folks, these aren't things I'm just making up. This is the truth. So life today isn't so much different than in the city of Corinth. To go along with that, life inside the, the first century church in Corinth was far from saintly. The Corinthian church was extremely carnal, extremely carnal, and it was failing in its purpose. It was failing in its purpose to glorify God. It was failing in its purpose to declare the gospel. It was failing in its purpose to direct in a godly way, uh, the morals of the day, the moral needs of the day. It was failing to be courageous in the midst of evil. It was ashamed of the gospel. That's what the church was like, a young church in Corinth. Let me ask you, could this be a, could this be a problem in the church today, in our church today, in our church in our nation today? Could it be a problem in individual Christians' lives today? And you know why? Because it's normal for us. We've grown accustomed to it. G. Campbell Morgan once said this, We are sometimes told today that your church needs to catch the spirit of the age. I say a thousand times no. What the church needs is to correct the spirit of the age. And only Jesus can do that. Well, the church in Corinth caught it, and it became weak and powerless. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're finally going to read it. I know you're wondering if we're ever going to get to it. Here it is. Look at me in verse 9. Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In previous chapters here, the first five and in part of chapter six, we see that the Christians in the church in Corinth, they were saying, if, if we're saved, if, if, if we're saved, then we can sin at will and still go to heaven. Now, they weren't coming out and saying that out loud. They weren't preaching that. But that was the attitude and the lifestyle that they were living. That's what they thought. They fought with each other about everything, it seemed. They fought with each other about who led them to the Lord, whether it was Paul or Apollos. They, 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 they quarreled between the Greeks and the Jews. They just, they just couldn't get along at all. It seemed like everything they wanted to argue about. There was terrible immorality that had taken place in the church, and no one did anything about it. They were, they were, they were also taking each other to court, here in the early parts of chapter 6, to have the courts settle their disputes amongst themselves. So Paul says here in verse 9, stop. 
Stop. Do you not know, he says here in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that? You see, it's as if the Corinthian Christians were saying, uh, we're saved, and if we're saved, then we can sin at will and still go to heaven. No problem. And Paul says, stop that. Do you not know? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't some say that today? I've heard it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. We're covered under God's grace. God's grace takes care of that. God's grace covers that. And God's grace does. Amen? But it does not give us a license to sin. We need to understand that. Abortion is bad. And we say stuff like, I know it's bad, but I also understand that it's just something that we have to live with today. And that it's not really a problem for me. You see, the new believers in Corinth were finding it a bit hard to, uh, to adapt to a religion that prohibits immorality. They were, they were struggling with that because that's what they knew. That's what they knew. That's, that's where they lived. That was their way of life. That's all many of them were familiar with. And it seemed that some in the church had professed Christianity as a, as a system of doctrine and not as a rule of life. I think sometimes that's the case in churches today in America. They accept it as a, as, oh yes, I know it's wrong. I know the Bible says it's wrong. I know the Bible says that life began at conception. And, and, we, and, and we go through all of that as a system of doctrine, but not as a rule of life. The spirit of the world had more influence on the Corinthian church than the spirit of God, and it had invaded the church. Folks, that is the great danger in our churches today. The wickedness that we live in is so familiar to us. It's so familiar to us. We grow accustomed to it. I'm not saying we like it, but we become accustomed to it. And he says here, Paul says, do you not know? You know, Paul mentions that three other times in any of his letters in the New Testament. Do you not know that the unrighteous or the wicked will not have any share in God's future kingdom and that they will be judged for their works? That's what Paul tells them. Remember, things like homosexuality and, and prostitution and such were not unusual in their day. Many Many of them may have participated in such things before they, before they came to the Lord. These, these are the things that they were used to. They, they grew up with them. They, they, they had friends and neighbors and co-workers who no doubt still practiced these things. Like we do. We have friends like that. So, it's not unlike us today. Think about this. Abortion has been around so long, it is a natural thing to talk about. Isn't that true? We're no longer stunned by it. Over 40 years we've lived with abortion. We know people who have had one or more abortions. There may be some here who have, 
had an abortion or a husband or a boyfriend who encouraged or was relieved when his wife or his girlfriend had an abortion? It's not unusual for us today, this evil. This is how society has changed. A generation who has only known legalized abortion. In fact, think about this. The laws concerning the LGBT lifestyle is more, too, more, more new to us than the abortion issue is, or the abortion laws are. We got shocked by that last summer, didn't we? But eventually, we'll become accustomed to it if we continue on the way we continue on, like the Corinthian church. Then he says here, look with me again in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says this, that's a question, then he says this, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, neither idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. He goes on with a list. Do not be deceived. Folks, this is a fear that I, that I have. Sometimes I think we flatter ourselves and, and think God is like us. We think he's like us, that, that we may live in sin and yet die in Christ. Like someone once said, that we may live like the devil's children and then go to heaven with God's children. Titus 1.16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work a reprobate. reprobate. You see, you see, no one who claims, no one who claims to know Jesus as Savior can allow themselves to ignore sin and wickedness and evil for long and not be convicted by the Holy Spirit. It just happens. Not that we we still have the ability to sin, that's not what I'm saying, but not the same appetite for that kind of lifestyle where it becomes usual for us. Norm for us. Look at verse 10. It says, nor thieves, he gives a list, we'll continue on with the list, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Think about what he's saying here. And such were some of you. That, that means some of us were like this. Some of us were part of this list up here. Most of us fall into one of those categories. You want to know why? Go like this, because I'm going to tell you why. I read a study this week, and I finally found out the answer. Sociologists Dorothy Nelkin and Susan Lindy, they have stated that, you ready? Our genes can appear to explain many of our problems today. Not blue genes, our genes. They state that we have genes that explains obesity, criminality, Shyness, directional ability, intelligence, political leanings, and preferred styles of dressing. I think they mean dressing, not the dressing you put on your salad. It's all in our genes. They also state that there are selfish genes, pleasure-seeking genes, violence genes, gay genes, couch potato genes, depression genes, genes for genius, genes for saving, and genes for sinning. That last one, genes for sinning, I think just is, it covers all the voices that they couldn't put on the list. 
That's why. That's why we live the way we live. That's why we do the things we do. It's in our genes. Now listen closely. I think much of that is a bunch of hogwash. But I want you, I want you, Christians should be aware of the possibility of some of our vices might be attached to our genes. But listen, sinfulness is not one of them. It is not one of them. Sinfulness is part of the universal human condition. That's why we all need a Savior. The Bible says some of us were that way. We were that way. We didn't think twice about sin. We didn't think twice about its effect on us or on others. We lived with it so long, we were used to it. We were accustomed to it. Like abortion. But we didn't remain that way. Amen? We came to know Jesus as Savior and all that he has done for us on that cross and how we are to live our lives now to glorify him. Look what the Bible says here in verse 11. And such were some of you. Then he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Bible says we've been washed. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've been, we've been regenerated. We are, we're a new creature. We're born again by the Spirit of God. And it says we've been sanctified. We've been set apart for God's use as God's people, growing daily in His grace. We don't have to grow accustomed to this sin. We don't have to grow accustomed to evil and to wickedness. We've been justified, declared righteous before God through the blood of Christ. That's good news, right? Because we were once like that. Now we don't have to be. We don't have to accept sin and evil and wickedness now. Well, let me slow this down. Does this sound like our world today? Sinful, evil world? Does it sound like our churches today? Does it sound like many Christians today? And we've just grown accustomed to sin and evil. Do we really have that much in common with the Corinthian church of old? Are things like abortion just now considered bad by the church, but looked at as usual in daily life? Is it just an unfortunate, acceptable evil? Paul, remember what Paul says. He says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Don't let time and society and the norms of today make you think or believe less of evil and wickedness and sin. God certainly hasn't changed his mind on that subject. In Jesus, we are new people. We are new people with a new moral code, with a new mindset, with a new lifestyle. With a new, we're, we're part of a new family. We have a new inheritance, and we have a, we have a new authority. And, and, and how can we ever think of looking at sin and evil like we did before we were un, when we were unsaved? We shouldn't. Keep in mind, there's a big difference between professing to know Christ and possessing Christ. That's important to keep in, your, keep in your mind because there are plenty who profess Christ. Paul warns the Corinthians not to deceive themselves into thinking that things will turn out well for those who persist in disobedience, for they will not. 
For the wicked, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God, even if they profess to know Christ. They need to possess Christ. One writer puts it this way, and I'm going to close with this. I cannot tell you what the law books say about life. And I cannot tell you what the medical books say about life. But I can tell you what God's book says about life. And it says that life is precious to God, and it begins in the womb. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, help us today not to accept the evil and wickedness of this world as normal. And today, Father, we especially think about abortion or euthanasia or whatever uh, these plans are to take one's life. Help us, Father, to never grow accustomed to it. Help us to remember and think and concentrate that it is an evil in your eyes and according to your word. Help us to never get comfortable with the evil of this world. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the authority we have in you to combat these evils. In Jesus' name, amen.